out of town like a bunch of people and you're just kind of taking it easy in the big easy this weekend or what? Well, in a, in a few weeks, I think, uh, Linda and Muriel, your last weekend is March 11th. Is that right? So we wanted to announce that to you guys this morning to give you a chance to, to connect with them. I know they've meant so much to so many here. And uh, you know, departures are always a challenge, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Matt and Paula are here again this morning, but this will be their last Sunday, uh, unless they get fired from uh, <laughs> Birmingham. But you know, who knows, right? There's people praying, a lot could happen. Maybe you guys could pray about that before you leave. But, um, but I, you know, I want to say this because we're going to talk about spiritual gifts this morning, and, and one of the things that's obvious when we encounter the scriptures on spiritual gifts is that there's a variety of gifts and those gifts produce a variety of effects in the body of Christ. And we are aware of that effect at different levels. So, right, we have, we have a couple of departures taking place here. So you're aware of Matt's ministry from the pulpit and from leading us in worship. And that's easier to access. I don't know how aware, as Jeff was saying, I don't know how aware you are of those who pray for the church. Uh, I think one day we're going to get to heaven and find out who really owns the mansions and the big places of heaven. Uh, we're going to find out some things about people who prayed that you may never have touched them and realized what role they were playing in your life. I, I believe there's going to be moments when God pulls back the veil of situations in your life and Somehow we're going to see the wiring, the schematic of what made this event turn into that, that turned into that, and it's going to be this little red wire that runs to all of them, and it's going to be connected to somebody on their knees like these two ladies have been for this church. And so they have not been in front of you. I can very easily say they have been behind us in so much, and so very grateful. So please take advantage of the next few weeks we have with them here to care for them, love on them, and connect with them before they head to, to Texas. Well, before, before I, I'm going to read a kind of lengthy quote here in just a second, but before I do that, it's a quote from a, a book that we would recommend. Matter of fact, we may use it to teach through some issues on spiritual gifts by a man named Sam Storms. And in this quote, Sam is going to be a little bit critical of the church. He's going to assess the church's weakness and discrepancy in the category of spiritual gifts. And I'm aware that at sometimes we're not always ready to handle some kind of a comment that puts us in a place of deficiency, right? An analysis of our life is coming that's going to make us feel deficient. Uh, how do you respond to that? Well, um, the Bible calls on us to receive that kind of revelation, right? The Bible says, Paul encouraged the Corinthians, Test yourselves, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Or, or do you not know that Christ dwells in you? Now, that's an interesting thought because he kind of says, test yourselves, but it sounds like he's kind of convinced that at the end you're going to find out Christ dwells in you. Do you not know that? But yet for those 
who are in the church that he's encouraging, but put yourself under examination here for a moment. So that, that needs to be something that we have the ability to do. But immediately, examination can often show that we're standing in the wrong place. All right? And so the Bible doesn't mean for that to be a condemning experience. Right? You find yourself, your feet in the wrong spot. It, it's, it's the beginning of something good. It's, it's not the conclusion of just before God writes you off. You find out you've, you're not in the right place, right? I've, I've got an app on my phone that, that's a navigation app, right? We, we used to have to just know where you were going when you were growing up. You just knew directions and stuff. Now, you can just be oblivious, just feed in an address, and the navigation thing will take you there. But when you feed in the address, the first thing your phone says is turn on your GPS, right? If you're conserving your battery, you don't have your GPS on. So you turn on your GPS, and then the GPS is going to find you, Right? And in that moment, you might discover some things about how good of a sense of direction you actually have. You might discover that you're nowhere near where you need to be. You're headed in the wrong direction. I'm going. I've heard people say, I missed the exit and ended up in Shreveport. Where were you going? Houston. It's like, what? Uh, but that's the gift of direction some people have. So the GPS comes on and it says, you're in the wrong place and you're headed in the wrong direction. Now, how do y'all get condemned by the GPS when it does that? Right, a couple of y'all, okay. Well, maybe more than just a couple because that's sort of how some of us interact with bad news. How many of us just turn our car around and head in the direction where we were wanting to go? Right, that, and that, that's what that GPS was trying to get you to do. So when you hear this uh, author critique where we are as Christians, this is a means of turning your GPS on. Where are you as it relates to spiritual gifts and what adjustment in course might you need to make in order to be where God wants you to be. Look at this thought from Sam Storms. He says, I see a gap, often a chasm, between what the church is and what it ought to be. I see disparity between what Christians say and what they do, between what they know and how they live, between what they promise and how much they fulfill. Preachers teach the Bible. People snore. Let's not have any of that this morning, okay? Homemakers share their faith. And it falls on deaf ears. Lives are broken and rarely get fixed. Bodies are suffering and few are healed. Marriages are dying. And people just give up. Temptations are faced and sin flourishes. So what's wrong? Well, I'm convinced the problem is power or should I say the absence of it. He goes on and says, there's something that links us to the success of the early church and holds forth hope that we can and will emerge with our spiritual, with, from our spiritual lethargy. There's something that can transform good intentions into life-changing actions, abstract theologizing into concrete impact. I'm talking about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, this is a decent definition, spiritual gifts are the manifestation and power of God, the Holy Spirit, through which he intends to lead the church into the fullness of its ordained end. I think that's a pretty good, broad definition of spiritual gifts. Whether spiritual gifts are for today is not some secondary tangential issue that exists only for theologians to debate. It directly touches the very mission of the church and how she lives out her calling, how we speak to the world, the way we encounter the enemy, 
the expectations with which we minister to the broken and wounded and despairing are bound up in how we answer the question, shall we or shall we not be the church of the Bible? Shall we or shall we not build the church with the tools God has provided? Right? I think that's a good word. I like that word tools. I think it helps us to realize what gifts are. I think it helps us to not let gifts become more than they should be, which I think some churches have a problem with that. And that's why some people, I'm kind of having to cover some of this ground, because as we took a little poll and survey for folks going into this series, some people have had a bad experience when it comes to teaching in the realm of the charismatic. Because they've come from churches where I think something got missed and tools became the goal. No, that's a good word, tools. Tools help us build stuff. Tools help us with the goal. And tools are appropriate to the task. Right? If you and I are going to, <clears throat> if we're going to mine gold out of a mountain or iron ore that's hidden in some massive mountain somewhere, uh, it would not be an encouraging thing for us to huddle at the base of that mountain with hand hammers and, and maybe a little chisel and say, all right, let's go get us some ore. <laughs> right? This would be a lifetime task with very little effectiveness, wouldn't it? Now, if we showed up with dynamite and giant earth-moving equipment, we're a little better suited for the task. Now, the question is, what kind of tools do you and I need in the kingdom of God? To see the kingdom of God come on the earth, to see it show up in real places like the addresses where we live, in the meetings that we hold, in the way we minister to each other, and then out into the world, what kind of tools do we need? Well, we need tools to fit the task. And the task you and I are facing is a pretty enormous task. I think sometimes the deficiency we may be experiencing in spiritual gifts has to do with whether we're out of touch with the size of the task in front of us. Whether we, whether we think that your situation can be solved by me just giving you some cool advice or maybe even by human accountability. I mean, these are things, and the Bible helps us with saying these things are important. But might we need more than that? Right, here, here's the kind of pictures we have in Scripture of what we're doing. All right, Acts 26, I've been looking at this verse a little bit lately. The Apostle Paul was told this in his commission. You can just listen. We're going to look at some other passages in just a second. Jesus appears to Paul and says, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Right, that, that's a pretty big task. Right, we are sent on a mission where we're going to be seeking to be involved in people turning from blindness and darkness from the power of Satan to God to receive forgiveness. Right? This is the gospel. This is when the gospel comes in contact with a life. This is the audience the gospel finds when it seeks to make claims upon this person. Right? When Paul was encouraging Timothy about how he would be presenting the gospel and living the gospel and praying for people, he used this same picture. This obviously stuck with him. He talked about those whom God might grant repentance 
too, that God might be at work here, granting repentance to them, and that they might escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. All right, now let me just introduce this reality for a moment. In, in this room this morning, there are people who have either escaped that condition or are in that condition. Right? When, when we, you know, it's neat and clean to say we go to church. I came to church. Do you go to church? Yeah, I go to church. Uh, are you ensnared by the devil? Are you under his control? Did you do the will of the devil last week? Right? We don't ask people those kind of questions. We ask them stuff like, do you go to church? So that when we start coming to church, we're no longer unchurched. We're churched. Well, it's much, I understand the unchurched language. I don't even fault people for using it. But you understand your condition was much worse than you were unchurched. You just, well, I just didn't go to church. I, just, I, I didn't grow up real religious. Well, you know, here's an accurate biblical picture. This is weird language. I know. You were ensnared by the devil, and you were being held captive, and you were doing his will. Well, wait a minute. It's only like devil worshipers do the will of the devil. I'm not off painting pentagrams in the ground and slicing up goats in the wilderness. Well, what are you talking about? Well, yeah, uh, I understand that. But see, according to the Bible, the Bible spoke clearly about a condition that I was in. See, when the gospel comes to find me, that's my address. That's what I'm living in. That really is a condition of my life. And, and the reason why that's such news to us is because the first passage that I just mentioned. I'm blind and in darkness. So I don't even realize that I'm living my life for the will of a spiritual being different than God. It's hard to know that when you're in the dark and your eyes are closed and the nerves to your eyes are cut off. But that's the condition that we're in. Listen, if, if this morning you're here and maybe you're, you're visiting, maybe you're just testing out some things, checking out the church world. Listen, this is, this is the condition that God wants to reach in into your life and he wants to change the course of it. He wants to come in your life and turn the lights on. He wants you to see life for what it really is. He doesn't just want you to live in this condition of darkness where you're bound up. Actually, without knowing, you're following a course and a will that's not your own. Now, listen, I, I know you're thinking, no, Keith, that's, that's not me. You know, I wake up Tuesday, Wednesday. I go to Starbucks. It's my choice. I get decaf, non-decaf. I'm making choices in my life, man. I'm not bound up. I'm not sitting there doing what I don't want to do. Listen, that, that's the way in which the Spirit realm works is, is you are cooperating with something without knowing you're cooperating with it. And what the gospel wants to do is it wants to come and open your eyes to see this God who did a drastic thing. He sent his son to this earth with a mission to remove the blinders, to remove the barriers. By what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he removes this power over you. So that now your eyes can be open and you can see life and you can most importantly correctly see God and what God has for your life. And, and listen, maybe, maybe you're here this morning and the most thing that you're in touch with is that you just feel like your life is off course. You know, maybe, maybe you can feel the glow of an approaching candle and that's, that's where you're kind of sensing, I do feel like my life is off course. Listen, it's the gospel that makes your course correct. 
It's God coming to you, opening your heart to him, and receiving this light. That's the mission that we're on. But listen, go back to these spiritual gifts issues. These spiritual gifts are the tools by which you and I take the gospel to one another and into the world. They're necessary tools. They're not optional, right? So this morning as we consider this, uh, hopefully the Lord will give us a little bit greater sense of the gravity of this topic. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. Turn there, please. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Apostle Paul clearly is going to explain some things about spiritual gifts to us. He says, now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand, right? So there's an appeal from the Apostle Paul for us to understand this truth. I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So there's an enablement. This is a, these are passages about the Spirit's enabling us. Verse 4. Now, now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Now here's a little bit of a list of gifts. There's the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. All right, so here is... Here's just a quick little glimpse into the realm of spiritual gifts. Right now, on our, on our radio dial here, we're kind of to the right here. We've moved past the power of the Spirit for witness. We're moving into these last several and kind of broken them up into, into sort of categories that help us get a sense of what is it that we're receiving when we receive these. Because I don't want us just to learn about gifts. I want us to receive and experience them. So kind of clump them into more of the experiential component so that we can sort of learn to encounter them in our lives. So a couple of things, though, from this Corinthians passage real quick. Verse 4, there are varieties of gifts. Right? We see a variety of gifts listed in those boxes, and I'll, I'll, I'll go through some of them in just a moment. So they're not just here in Corinthians. They're in other places as well, as we'll see. So there's a variety of gifts, verse 6 and 7. It is the same God who empowers them. Right, enables them, brings them about. These manifestations of the Spirit are empowered by God. So spiritual gifts are empowered by God. These activities are something that draw their abilities and capacities from God. Okay? And lastly, the gifts are given to everyone. To each is given. 
Right, so I think that's a, that's a very important thing to mention. Because by the time we get to the end of this passage, again, our, our desire here is to experience the gifts. So let me ask you this question now in preparation for where we'll be in the end. Are you aware of what gifts the Holy Spirit has given to you? Because sometimes, as we said earlier, sometimes the gifts are more observable. Sometimes they're standing with microphones and they're engaging our lives in such a way that we can't help but notice them. And sometimes we can start feeling like, okay, if I'm not one of those people, then I'm just, that's just not my gift. I'm not gifted. Okay, according to the scriptures, I think it'd be accurate to say everyone is gifted. Right? Not in this passage, but a little bit later we'll see elsewhere. So you're sitting in this room this morning with a divine enablement wrapped up inside of you. Some unique capacity and ability from God in some category for a purpose. There, there's a tool inside of you. Whether it's a hammer, some people are a hammer, you know who you are, hammer people. Um, whether it's duct tape, you know, whatever. you got tools going on inside of you, right? Duct tape, we love the duct tape people, right? I mean, they can just do everything. It's duct tape. <laughs> but do you know what that gift is? And then the second question will be, what are you doing with it? How are you employing that gift? Let me give you a couple of other passages, I think they're in your outline. There are additional passages on the gifts of the Spirit. Romans 12, verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ. Okay, he's not saying much different here, is he? Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So again, you see a similar thing being said to the Romans as Paul said to the Corinthians. So here's common teaching in the New Testament. The churches were receiving common teaching in this category that gifts are associated with the good of the body. Gifts and the functioning of those gifts are associated with the unity of the body. You know, isn't this amazing thing? Can you think of something that's maybe been more divisive in the body of Christ than discussions on spiritual gifts? And isn't it amazing when the Bible brings them up, it's about unity. It's about when we're all functioning in our gifts, complementing one another, receiving gifts from others into our lives, and us playing a role in their life, that it pulls us together into the mission that we're all a part of. But yet when you bump into discussions on spiritual gifts, it seems like it's, it's the opposite of that. It might be for this reason. If we receive these gifts, let us use them. You know, maybe that the disuse, the failure to use gifts is what causes the church to lack this cohesiveness because it seems as though that's a side effect of these gifts being used. Ephesians 4, verse 8. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this because I don't know that it's, it's extremely significant, but two different words are used here. Charisma, charisma is grace gifts. Charisma, that's where we get that charismatic movement. This word here is doma. It's a little bit use of different 
of the, of the word for gift here, but it is still under the same umbrella of divine enablements, abilities that God has given and deposited into the church as tools. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. So I think there's a little bit different function there, but we'll go into that next week. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. Right? Now, now, love gets injected into this conversation about gifts right here, but so does it in 1 Corinthians, right? We get taught 1 Corinthians 12, and it gives way to 1 Corinthians 13. So somewhere in here, the apostles know if you're going to teach on gifts, those gifts are about love. They're about the body. They're about unity. So you just find it a real easy thing that when gifts are being discussed, love is being discussed. He goes on and says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, again, all of us have received, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks, right, speaking gifts, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, serving gifts, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, that's a, that's a big statement, that last one. Don't, don't let that be a, a punctuation mark on the end of a long sentence. Apparently, functioning gifts has to do with God being glorified through Jesus Christ. That's what this passage is about. So our functioning in the gifts is a means through which God receives glory and his glory dwells amongst his people and into the earth. So, so this, is not a, this is not a small topic. This is not something that we can like or not like. It's, it's not an important issue for us. It touches a lot of the realities of the Christian life. Now, let me say this. Awareness does not equal eagerness, does it? You're aware of a lot of stuff. You're not really eager about a lot of stuff, but you're aware. Acknowledgement does not equal experience. I don't think there's anybody in this room today that I'm saying, hey, have you guys ever heard of spiritual gifts? And you're scratching your head going, hmm, heard of the spirit, heard of gifts, just not together. What, what, what are you talking about? No, I mean, this is not a foreign subject for almost any of us, right? But let's do a little checklist here. Let's suppose that you are going to circle we're over here. You're going to circle each of the gifts that you have seen operate in the last couple of months in your own life and in the lives of believers around you, in your small group meetings, in the gatherings of the church. All right, I want you to just circle all the ones that, that you have seen and maybe double underline the ones that you have been used in by the Spirit. All right? So we have things like the verbal insight gifts where God discloses information and that goes verbal. Prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discernment, gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. Right, how, how common are these in, in your experience of being with other Christians and seeing the ministry of the Spirit? How about helping gifts? The gift of administration, the gift of serving, hospitality, giving, 
extending mercy in amazing ways. You know, it's interesting. I think you could take all the gifts, almost all of them, and sort of make them junior-sized. You can make them common to many of our lives. I mean, there's lots of serving going on. There's lots of hospitality. And then there's a gift of hospitality. So I think we're talking about some additional things. How about unusual power gifts? I mean, gifts of faith, which probably is always connected with healings and miracles. I mean, just where this ability, remember, Gifts are a manifestation of the Spirit. They are an enablement of God. So this ability visited into you by God to believe something that in a moment perhaps you're tempted to never believe, to believe the opposite. Right? When was the last time you saw somebody stare at life and they believed something that just didn't make any sense and they were convinced of it in their soul and they clung to it, and they waited for it, and they believed God for that thing. I know it's just a whole lot easier for us sometimes just to get on board with what's not happening right and just share that. You know, and this is probably going to become that, and it's been that forever, and, and there's no way he's going to ever change, and, and we stay there. But where's, where's the gift of faith in our midst? And then leadership gifts, just the gift of leading, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Right, there's one thing to say that I acknowledge these gifts exist is another thing to pursue and embrace them and experience them. Right, I'll pull this apart in a moment, but theologically in the world of gifts today, there's, there's cessationist and continuationist. Those terms didn't exist too long ago, but, well, continuationist didn't. Cessationist believes that there's a point in the history of the church where gifts ceased, these unusual enablements from God no longer were going to be practiced. They weren't being enabled by God any longer. A continuationist is one that believes that, that there's not a line in history that stops these things, that this work continues even till today. But, you know, we would fall into the category of continuationists. But can I tell you there's a difference between continu- believing something continues and actually experiencing it continuing. I mean, I can grapple in my mind, and, you know, I'm, I'm a person who likes to play with data and analyze arguments. So I can be honest and come to the Bible and say, hey, the Bible makes an argument for these things continuing. And I can be in agreement with that. And then I can look on my checklist and say, however, I, I can't find them in my life. And I can't find them in the church when I gather. Well, so okay, so on paper I'm a continuationist, but in my practice I'm a cessationist. Because seeing these things and experiencing these things and actually taking the tools up and getting some sweat on them and using them in real life situations, that at some point has ceased. So we might want to walk carefully, some of us. You know, we've got these convictions that, you know, I'm charismatic, I'm Pentecostal, I'm this, I'm that. And then if you took a snapshot of us and you took a snapshot of a person who says, I'm not. I'm a cessationist. I don't believe those gifts continue today. All right, on paper, we've got an argument to make. But in reality, would your life say anything different than theirs? Would they be able to say, yeah, my meeting's like that. Like that. Hey, we have small groups in our house. Well, what are y'all doing? Well, we do this and this and this and this. Well, us too. Yeah, we do that. Right, what I, what I hope for as we study through these realities is not that we would just agree on paper about some things about God, but we would receive them from him. And we learn how to interact with them in a greater way. David Stroud says, gifts of the Spirit are not an option. 
the Bible teaches that they build up the body of Christ, you have a very immature church if you don't have the gifts of the Spirit. They're not toys to be played with. They're not something that's optional. The Bible teaches that they are for our maturing. They're, they're not just there as some kind of add-on. They're absolutely crucial for our meetings to glorify God and for the church to be built up. It intrigues me that after 30 or 40 years of being in an environment where we are used to the gifts of the Spirit, many of us are still fundamentally quite ignorant. They're still kind of a quite unknown to us and to our congregations. All right, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you can say amen? That, that's, ooh, that's too true. I mean, I've been in this church a long time, and I'm grateful for what I see, but I think there's such room for more of the work of the Spirit of God that I, I can't help but agree with Stroud in what he's saying there. All right, so question. What, what, what's normal in the realm of spiritual gifts, right? We're teaching about this new normal from God, this new normal that if we analyze, we're going to find out it's an old normal. What's normal? What should we be expecting when we touch on this issue of the Holy Spirit, his activity, how he engages our lives, what we are like as we relate to one another under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit in the settings where we live? What, what's normal in that regard? Well, let me... Let me plug something here just theologically for a moment, and we're probably going to be spending some time in the book of Acts not too far from now. But you know, have some people that would say, well, you know, you really can't treat the book of Acts like it's normal. And you really need to be careful about whether you even teach about the Spirit from the book of Acts because it's, it's a narrative book. And, you know, you really should teach in other places. Here's a, here's a thought I think that adequately addresses and really does challenge that. Terry Virgo in his book, The Spirit-Filled Church, says, It is important for us, therefore, to, to look into the book of Acts and be instructed. Sadly, some have suggested that we should not expect to receive explicit teaching from reading narrative passages. They have, therefore, taken the stance that the book of Acts is not an appropriate book for us to study as we try to discover what is meant by being baptized in the Holy Spirit. They, they would argue that doctrine should be drawn from didactic or teaching parts of the New Testament, such as the epistles. But this attitude thoroughly undermines the teaching of 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Much of our Scripture is narrative, and Paul explicitly argues these things happened to them as an example. And they were written down for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Paul is therefore declaring that narrative passages provide examples and were express, expressly recorded to instruct us. We therefore need to approach the book of Acts with the mindset that there are God-ordained examples which have been carefully recorded to provide the instruction that we need. As Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones argued, you really cannot truly interpret nor understand the teaching of the epistles unless you do so in the light of the history of Acts. It's kind of interesting because neither of these guys are airheads, theologically, and yet they would be saying the exact opposite. You, you want to you understand what it means to put on some of what you are taught in the epistles? Well, we might need to visit Acts to get an idea about what that is. Now, let me say this by way of normal. 
I think there are some places that it's right for us to understand the nature of a narrative is simply recording the event as it happened. Not necessarily telling you whether it ever should happen again. Not necessarily saying that the way that happened should be happening over and over and over again. So, for instance, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes and there's the sound of rushing wind and tongues of fire sit upon each person's head in the room, and then they begin to speak in tongues. I don't think it would be normative to say that when we pray and gather, what we should be expecting is for, we should be waiting for something that sounds like the wind, and then each person should be experiencing tongues of fire on their head. Well, then why do you expect that they're going to experience speaking in tongues? Because that experience is duplicated over and over and over again in Acts. And it's not uniquely associated with the inauguration of the Pentecostal event that took place to fulfill the scriptures. Where you had the tongues of fire and the mighty rushing wind that was representative of Old Testament pictures being fulfilled. So, rightly so, some things we shouldn't call normal. But some things we should. And so that's the question, right? Where where do we go with normal here? Well, Okay, Acts chapter 2, occurring about 33 A.D., some 20 to 30 years later, you have the verses that we just looked at. You have Romans and Corinthians and Ephesians and 1 Peter. Okay, now at what point are those verses to be considered normal? Acts chapter 2, it's a unique event. Yes, it is. Unique stuff happened. Yes, it did. Should we expect that? Probably not. But at what point do we read Romans chapter 12 and say, was that a unique experience? Should we expect those things to happen? You know, we didn't butcher the rest of Romans that way. What about 1 Corinthians? Right, this, this is the great, huge, inescapable argument of whether you're going to believe these things continue or they stop. At some point, you have to draw a line in time. Right, You've got to put a line down that says, you know, the gifts continued and they were normal for the activity of the church until you got to right here. And then... They stopped. And I've always thought this very curious and interesting, that if you're arbitrarily going to assign that, why would they have stopped? And, you know, without going into detail, sort of the argument is, is based usually around the canon and the collection of Scripture. We now have the truth. The, the perfect has come. But I'm wondering, you know, when these guys stop writing, is that when it happened? Like some guy... Some guy in, uh, in Greece was speaking in tongues by the Spirit, and then the Scripture, the last, John put the dot on the last statement in Revelation, and in his, his tongues just dried up in that moment. All of a sudden, whoop, don't need that anymore. We finished the Bible. However, the Bible hadn't been copied. It hadn't been sent. So is it the presence of the Bible that causes the gifts to go away? Now that I have the Bible in my hands, as soon as you hand it to me, I stop speaking in tongues and stop prophesying. It's like it's crazy. How do you come up with the idea of when this transitions like that? Okay, I think when we're reading, we, we treat the rest of the New Testament like those guys in the first century were doing church and they were doing it normally. I think when I get to 1 Corinthians 12, and Paul is addressing spiritual gifts, he's not stating some strange event from Acts chapter 2. He's just talking about the normal life of a New Testament church. They're together, and they're using these unique enablements that God has given them to walk together and to experience and fulfill God's purpose in their midst. So, you got to put this in your outline. We're going to treat Corinth 
as normal. Here, a, a cessationist believes that the Corinthian church existed in an abnormal time frame. Time where God's agenda that no longer exists, right? There's a unique agenda there that's not here today. But a continuationist believes that the agenda of the Corinthian church continues to be the agenda for today's church. The agenda for, for the church in Corinth is the same agenda for the church in New Orleans, for Lakeview Christian Center. That agenda has not changed. Right, let's not make the mistake of overlooking the overwhelming evidence as to why gifts exist in the first place. All right, let me give you a quick little tour here. Here's, here's what the Bible says about these gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, and these are all listed in your outline there. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. All right, so why do we have gifts? For the common good. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Right? So the, the gift that God gives in prophecy, it brings upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. The Corinthians needed, is there anybody here today who thinks we don't need upbuilding, consolation, and encouragement? Anybody signing on for that? We need that. And the gift was given for that. And most of what you're going to see here in these passages highlights the reason that we have spiritual gifts is to build us up, to bring to us help encouragement, consolation in a fallen world, strengthening for the task at hand. Now, here's where I think a big mistake gets made. It's when you read the Bible and it talks about signs and wonders that accompany the apostles, signs and wonders that accompany the first century church. And the Bible does say this, that they were attestations to the gospel. They were, they were almost fireworks, if you will. Right? They, stuff exploded. People got healed. They were being raised from the dead. It was People are coming to check this stuff out. It's like, wow, what is going on? Okay, we've gathered a crowd now, and, and we're here representing God. And if you have any question about that, watch this guy. He's dead. Oh, he's come to life. Do you believe me now? Listen to what I have to say. So there was this attestation for signs and wonders. And the Bible does say that. But it doesn't say that's the sole reason for spiritual gifts. As a matter of fact, when we move from signs and wonders to spiritual gifts, it doesn't say that. It says these things. It's got this, this big, long list, which, you know, by the way, is the use of gifts in the context of the church. Right? This isn't fireworks so that believers will believe that the message is from God. They're already believers. Paul's telling this to the Corinthians who are already Christians. He's saying these things are being seen among you not to convince you to become a Christian. You're already Christians. They must be for another purpose. Well, yeah. 1 Corinthians 14, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. The effect of that gift privately used is to build up oneself. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, you know, here's a gift, if we understand the teaching from Scripture, that is to be used primarily, in that sense, in private. It's not an attestation gift. Right? It's, it's not that I go out in public and speak in tongues as a means of getting people to go, wow, you must be from God. What's your message? That, that this is not an attestation gift. This is a gift for me privately to be built up mysteriously by the work and enablement of God as that gift is functioning in me. 1 Corinthians 14.5, someone who interprets a tongue so that the church may be built up. Right? Well, so why do we have gifts? How will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? 
Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. If all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Right? Do, do we not need for that to happen anymore? Ephesians 4, verse 12, that these gifts were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Right? Do, you only, do you see where almost, I don't want to say exclusively, but primarily the emphasis for gifts is to build up. The reason why we have gifts is to build up. So I have to agree with Stroud in saying that if a church doesn't experience gifts, then what's being neglected is building up. Some aspect of maturing and growing and increasing is missing because the tools that bring that about aren't being used. So that's pretty important stuff. Question, if the purpose for the gifts has not ceased, why would we expect that gifts have ceased? Now, Sam Storms does make a great point in another book of his. He says, gifts are not the goal, but rather the means by which we attain the goal of a transformed heart in a Christ-like life. And I want that to make sure and, and inform us as we pursue being biblically charismatic. Gifts are not the goal. Right? They are the tools we acquire on our way to the goal. They are what we use as a means of arriving at a destination. Listen, when you get gifts, you haven't, you haven't arrived. Right? You shouldn't feel like you have. It's like, I experienced this. Oh, let's experience that more. Okay, well, well, we experience it for the sake of building up. Are you using that in such a way that it's building up, that it's causing this influence to go into the body of Christ because that's what the gift is for, right? Even the gift of speaking in tongues used privately is for building up. It's for personal edification so that when I am walking with the body of Christ and walking out the purpose of God in my life, I am built up and I am having an effect upon you as a result. So even that gift, which would be the only gift that seems to have a private component to it, is for the purpose of public benefit. So what's normal for a church regarding spiritual gifts? All right, look at 1 Corinthians 12 again. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, right? And, and, and Paul has just taught fairly extensively, he's going to continue to teach on building up the body, the purpose of gifts, right? Building up the body. He says, well, that's you. You are the body, and individually you're members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? I think the implied answer for all those is no. No, there's a variety. We're not all the same. We're not cut out of the same exact pattern, and we're not all called to do exactly the same thing. We have different functions as tools. But 
no matter what your function is, earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then he interrupts that with a teaching on 1 Corinthians 13. He connects gifts functioning in the body with love. All right, now listen. <laughs> Don't want to chase this too far, but I have to chase it for a moment. Uh, how many of us have been around teaching that has, has taken Paul's teaching here and created this abrupt transition? Almost like, you know, he's been teaching on gifts, and then he slams the brakes on, does a donut, faces the car in the other direction, and says, now listen, let's talk about what really matters now. Let's talk about love. Almost as though now he's turned his back on gifts, and he's anti-gifts. Because the real issue here is love. He's going to go right back to talking about gifts in just a moment. I think what he's trying to make sure we understand is that gifts are a means of loving one another. There's enablements that God has put in your life that maybe you're afraid to step out in. Maybe in a meeting you don't, you don't want to say something. You know, but, but God has given you a means of bringing care and encouragement and consolation into people's lives through a gift that he has given you. Maybe there's a need in someone's life that you can serve that need. See, these gifts, they're means of the body loving one another. That's why Peter goes immediately to love one another than a discussion on gifts. This is not like a, you got the, the first church of love and the first church of gifts, you know. And I, I don't see how you can exclude the two. Do you understand that? If you say you really love one another in the body of Christ, well, then wouldn't you use all the abilities available to you to love one another? Well, then you'd use spiritual gifts, and there's no way you could ever be just the, the first church of love. And, and if we understand the nature and course and purpose for spiritual gifts, there's no way that we're using gifts without loving one another. And thus we kind of signed on for some freak show, which some of us have, right? We just want to hear somebody prophesy, who, who, hey, dude, pull a, pull a rabbit out of the hat, man. Can you tell some, can you say something that nobody else knows? Can you just, can you, can you tell me my future? You know, it's like it's, like this is some kind of a freak show. It's a way of loving each other. So this is not where Paul slams the brakes on, goes in the other direction. He just, he's just putting together the things that belong together. And he comes back to gifts in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Right, so pursue love. And earnestly desire, do not be casual about the gifts. Do not know that they're available. Don't hold them in some library somewhere. Don't just be acknowledging that, yeah, I can remember a teaching on that at some point. Or, yeah, I can remember that there was a gift and I even, I was even used in it a couple of times. But, you know, that's not really happening now in my life. No, 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 no. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That's the posture. That this passage calls for. Love this thought from Richard Lovelace. He says, We should make a deliberate effort at the outset of each day to recognize the person of the Holy Spirit. We should continue to walk throughout the day in relationship of communication and communion with the Spirit, mediated through our knowledge of the Word, relying upon every office of the Holy Spirit's role as counselor mentioned in Scripture. 
This should affect our practice of the spiritual disciplines. Acknowledging every day from the outset our need for the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Sensitizing ourselves to communion with the Spirit at the beginning of each day and throughout the day. Avoiding grieving the Holy Spirit. Listen, there is a, these, these gifts are to function in us. And so I'm going to need to know that, that when a prophetic word comes, what, what does that feel like? How do I tune into that? God has given me some insight to share with another that has some unique application of wisdom or knowledge for their life. I, I, what, is that, what does that feel like? How do I get that from God so that I might give it to somebody else? Uh, are, are there gifts of healing that, that maybe you know, God has used you to lay your hands on somebody and to pray for them. And I think gifts of healing offers kind of a broad use. I think I, I've seen this. I've heard folks that, that they pray for people who have certain ailments and see healing more often than when they pray for anybody in any other category. It's like just God's like, I don't know, maybe God gives them a gift of healing in a certain category. It's, it's going to get explained there. But these gifts need to be something we've tuned into. We've learned how to use them, how to know what they sound like, how to receive them and engage them so that when we go to care for one another and love one another, we are actually able to use the gifts that build up. Right? All right, practical, practical. And I'm going to stop here. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. It says, what, what then, brothers? All right, we've talked about all these gifts, all this love. What then, brothers? When you come together, when you do that, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. And he continues to teach about the order of using gifts and building one another up in their use. But here, here's where I, I want to put the emphasis. When you come together, each one has. Now, I know when we, when we gather in homes and do our covenant group meetings, uh, I don't know, maybe it would sound like this. When you come together, one has pumpkin pie and one has a, uh, an appetizer. and one ha- I mean, we know how to bring those gifts, Right? One has babysitting responsibilities. And well, okay, we, we know, and that's, that's serving. But have you ever stopped and thought before you go to a meeting to find out how God might want to awaken in you and make you aware of a spiritual gift that he wants you to use in that meeting? See, when you come together, each one has a this, a that, a this, or that. But I, I know, I mean, hey... We get out of the habit, right? We, we're just glad if we showed up on time. I mean, I'm just, I thought I'm pulling, so I brought my Bible. I mean, I remembered to get my Bible and bring it with me. And, 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 this is almost like praying and fasting, I brought the notes from Sunday. <laughs> my leader's going to fall out of their chair tonight. Um, I will maybe... Maybe this verse needs to inform us that these meetings are intended to be a gathering of gifts into them. All right, let me make a, a, a leadership public service announcement here. Um, 
because I, I think it's helpful to see some of these things. And I have so appreciated getting feedback from folks as we've walked through this series, as guys in covenant groups have shared kind of what some of the discussion points have been. Um, all right, we've got this, we've got all these gifts taking place, and they are given for the church to build the church up. All right, so we want to see these things. We want to see them happening. All right, certain gifts acclimate themselves to certain settings better than other settings. And what we need to be careful about is, what does it look like for Lakeview Christian Center to be healthily experiencing those gifts in our lives? Uh, because if you're, if, if you're not careful, what you're going to be tempted to do is try and put all those gifts in this meeting. Because you're going to see this is the gathering of the church. And, you know, if that's the case, you know, we, we might be taking too long in worship. And do we really even need to do the announcements? And God knows you preach too long. Dude, you're not leaving room for any other, uh, any other ministry of the Spirit. All right, well, let's suppose we did this. Right, do you remember that meeting where the Apostle Paul was preaching well into the night? The guy falls over and dies. I mean, this, this meeting had to have been an anthem. It was six, seven hours easily. I think they ate, and then they met, and he taught, and then they well into the night. All right, let's suppose we did this. Let's suppose we started our meeting here on Sunday mornings. Lakeview Christian Center will now only meet once. We're not going to meet in any other places, any other times. We're going to meet one time, and we're going to begin that meeting with prayer. So that's going to be where we pray together. And then followed, following prayer time, uh, we'll, have some, we'll have some discipleship teaching for the believers to seek to go deeper in their understanding and using the gift of teacher in that setting. And, and then we're going to have a time of, of worship before God, and we're going to use leadership gifts to worship God and to set God before us in a way and minister to him. And, and we're going we're to have the other leadership gifts of preaching the word are going to take place there. And then after that time, we're going we're gonna to do some smaller type ministry that may, maybe people are here this morning and you have an illness in your body. And we're going to pray for people that are sick. And so we're going to break you up into smaller groups. And you're going to pray for the sick. And uh, maybe you're going to pray about needs that are going on in somebody's life. And that's where prophecy would be appropriate and helpful in people struggling through issues. So we're going to have prophetic words in that moment. And, and so we'll, we'll do that for a while in small groups. And then after that, hopefully all the friends that you've invited will show up sometime later in the day. And, and, and then we'll, we'll do some, some evangelism. We'll, we'll have more of an emphasis on outreach, introducing God to people who don't even know how to spell God. And we're going we're gonna to go there for a while. And, and then you're going to spend some time with them, pursuing them one-on-one and following up with things that they heard and praying for them and using some of the other gifts in their lives. All right, what time do you think we're going to get done on Sundays now? Right, we're going to be hopefully having the gift of raising from the dead. People are going to fall out of windows. All right, so we're probably, we're at least seven, eight hours. Right, we're at least seven, eight hours worth of meeting on a Sunday. All right, let's suppose we do this as a church. How about we take a couple of those hours and keep them on Sunday? And then we take a, we'll take a couple of those hours and we'll stick them inside your homes. And you'll meet as small groups. And a lot of this ministry that we just described, it's going to take place there in those meetings in small groups. And then we're going to take some of that meeting we're going to, we're going to stick it on Tuesday evening. And we're going to invite people to experience uh, the gospel introduction in their lives, and we're going to call that thing Alpha. And, and so we're actually going to, we're going to take Lakeview Christian Center, we're going to chop it up in pieces and assign it different time slots in different locations. And now I want you to ask if you see the Holy Spirit moving. 
And I don't want you to ask it by attending the Sunday morning meeting. Because if you're needing a personal prophetic word, this probably isn't the place for it. Appropriately. Because, you know, if I decided, you know, we're just going to randomly pick a few folks and see if we can get some prophetic words for them, the rest of you are going to be waiting. And I don't know that the ministry to you is going to be what it needs to be. That, that needs to take place in a smaller context. Right? Sometimes we don't think this stuff through. Like, I, yeah, I was helpfully reminded of a story. Of, I've always been jealous. I mean, I got corrected on this. I've always been jealous for how the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York pulls off their prayer meeting. They do a prayer meeting. I think it's on Tuesday night. That is just rocking. The place is packed. Right? This is a prayer meeting. It's not Sunday morning. It's a prayer meeting. And they've just got wall-to-wall people there calling out to God and praying. And I'm thinking, man, we are pathetic. (laughs) You know, we got 30 to 35 people showing up on Sunday morning to pray. And then I read a book. And I got an insight from another pastor. And I was extremely humbled. When he highlighted the fact that they do small groups in their church. And I'm like, we do too. And he started talking about the prayer that was taking place in those small meetings. And I said, sounds like the prayer taking place in ours. Our people, they're praying for one another. They're praying for needs. They're praying for the church. They're praying for our community. They're going global and praying for needs in other places. Yeah, we're doing that. And then then he kind of like gave me a V8 moment. He said, we have a huge prayer ministry. We just don't all meet in the same room in the same meeting. I thought, oh, wow. That's helpful. Yeah, our church does pray. We're just not all in the same room on Tuesday night like the folks in Brooklyn are. See, when you you look at some of these things, some some of them should be taking place in here. Some of them should be taking place in homes. Some should be taking place one on one. The, the gifts are are variety and they're diverse and they need to find their setting and be appropriately used. And so, you know, are we poor in the gift of prophecy because, you know, the microphone scares people. <laughs> I know it does. But, you know, if you're going to prophesy with your little female voice from the back corner over there, these people over here, they're not even going to hear you. Well, that thing, man, I, I'm not coming forward. I'm not coming forward giving a word in that thing. Uh, listen, i got bigger buildings than this. I mean, you just got to be heard. You got to be heard. But this isn't the only place where prophecy takes place. Many times, I could almost say more times than not, the setting where it's going to be most helpful is going to be in your small groups. It's going to be in the setting where you're gathered with a smaller number of people who specifically there are going to be opportunities for application and help and consolation and moments of encouragement from people that you're walking with intimately in their lives. That's why when you come together, each one has a this, each one has a that. If I look at this list here, this meeting doesn't feature as many opportunities for the gifts as small group meetings do. So this is how I want to close our service this morning. I want to ask all the small group leaders and their wives, if, if they would stand up. I'm not going to make you come forward, but I want you to stand up where, wherever you are here in the building this morning. And, and I, want us, I want us to pray for these guys. Because I knew going into this series that the reality of us experiencing the Holy Spirit in many, many aspects was going to fall on them. 
right? And remember, they're people just like you, right? They got schedules, they got challenges, they have personalities. They have some that would run to the microphone and you couldn't get it out of their hand. Uh, besides Ray Pratt's, I can't think of anybody else, but... Uh, <laughs> Then they have others that you couldn't, you couldn't threaten them with weapons to get them to come up here and do that. And yet they got to sit in a meeting and lead that meeting and try and say, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you doing here on the right side of this list? Or even on the left, quite honestly. What are you, what are you doing in our meeting today? How do you want to lead this, Holy Spirit? How do you want to show up? How can I make room for that? How can I encourage? How can I be experiencing more of this? Right, this is going to be real to us, guys. If there's going to be a new normal, that's going to be the epicenter of it. So you're near some of these guys. Can, can you just get around them and let's pray together for them this morning? thank you but thank you first as we reflect on what we've seen in your word thank you for strategic insistence on your part that you'd find ways for us to be built up in this world where we are run ragged discouraged facing things that drain the faith out of our lives calling us to another mission besides the mission of the gospel for your glory. And you have wisely said, I'm giving the church these tools for repair work and for strengthening work, for building up, for putting the walls back up when they fall, for lifting up sagging faith when that occurs. So God, I thank you that as we read your word, we again come in contact with your heart for your church. You want us strengthened and encouraged and built up. And the means through which you do that are these gifts, this unique functioning of your Holy Spirit that you distribute into each one individually as you will. Some are the less seemly members than others, some an eye, a hand, a foot. Some may be a part that no one sees, but yet their contribution is no less vital. So Lord, throughout this room, and for those who are not here today, Lord, as you've made us a body together to love one another, to minister to one another, you have given these gifts, these tools. And God, we want a new normal in this category. Lord, we don't want to be the people that Sam Storms described that are putting forth effort, trying to do things, but the power's just not there. Oh, God, meet us in this arena with power. God, bring a new day of a new normal where we can look at that list and we can say, yeah, I, I've seen prophecy. Yes, I've seen amazing faith. Just the other day, this woman in my meeting, she had such incredible faith. It was contagious. I've seen administration and serving and people laying down their lives. I've seen gifts of mercy that are just unbelievable how people care for others. Yes, I've seen, I'm seeing these things. 
Well, God, that's what we're praying for. That's what we want to see. And Lord, we're gathering around these leaders here. Lord, those who you have given in the body of Christ, we trust the gift of leadership to help bring together people, to help focus us, to help give opportunities for your spirit to do more and more. And Lord, Lord, I know the heart of each of these men and their wives is to follow hard after you, to find themselves in agreement with you, to be discerning by the Holy Spirit, to be led by you. And Lord, sometimes we all don't feel like we can find the radio station you're tuned into in any meeting that we're leading. But Lord, we pray for favor upon their lives this morning. Guys, as we're laying hands upon them, we pray for you to transfer anointing and power by the Holy Spirit that you would come upon these men and their wives and you would anoint them with an ability, Lord, to discern what you're doing in any moment, in any meeting. God, as they're gathering your church together, Lord, how to create opportunities for the variety of gifts that you've given to the church. Oh, Lord, keep us and help us to grow past just having a meeting that has the same two or three dynamics to it over and over and over again because, Lord, you want to do more. And these settings in our homes with 5, 10, 15, 25 people gathered in different places, sometimes dividing up a bigger meeting into a smaller meeting so that what everybody brought to the party can be experienced. The gifts that we're all bringing have a place to operate. Oh, God, I pray that you'd raise up story after story, testimony after testimony, meeting after meeting where God showed up and God showed up and God showed up. And there's one person who can tell a story after another and faith is built and people become convinced, God, that we love one another, that we're together for a cause that's enormous and important. God, you've done that by just placing us near one another and causing us to have a heart to bring the gift you've given us to function in that setting. So Lord, may it be that you make us a church that's, that's not just getting to the end of a series here, we're saying we're so grateful that we got more information in a notebook. Or we know where those Bible passages are in our Bible. No, Lord, please have mercy on us. Lord, may it be what comes from this is not just that we can reference a Bible passage, but we can actually reference a meeting from last week and last month where we saw the Spirit of God, where we can commend to one another that God is near to us and we are so encouraged and affected. For when the world finds itself in our meetings, surely they will fall on their face and say, God is in this place. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for the future that you have in mind. But thank you for this word. Holy Spirit, Thank you for your nearness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And bless you guys. Have a spirit-gifted week.